And so when I'm done, Zach's gonna come up and speak on Song of Solomon just to make it awkward for everyone. I'm just kidding. All right, if you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we're a book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth chapter three, we're starting here in verse 14. As you're turning there, I have a question. I'd like a show of hands. I'd like participation in this one. Um, does anyone here have a hard time not knowing what will happen in a movie? How many of you sit there and go, I want to know the ending of the movie, even if I've never seen it before I actually watch it? Anybody? There's a few of you. Why? Do you get stressed out? Like the movie starts like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then you would sit there, well, who does? Well, a couple of you are, a couple of you said that. You're just like my oldest son, Tyler. Um, I can't tell you how often we'll watch a movie. And if it's something that we've watched, I'll start saying things like, okay, what's, what's going to happen? Are they, are they going to make it? They're not going to make it, are they? And he's trying to get this information. I'm like, hey, hey, I think you should stress over this. I think you should stress so badly over this that it causes anxiety in your life. Like, maybe not that harsh, but I'm like, no, you'll find out. But he even asked the question on movies I haven't seen yet. He's like, dad, what's going to happen? Couldn't tell you. Are they going to make it? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that when they, sit, when they say cut, they're fine, but okay, hang in there with it. Hey, they're not going to make it, are they, Dad? And, and, then I, and then I hear my dad come out of my mouth. And I thought it would never come to that. These are the, these are the words. Tyler, I've seen, I've seen as much of it as you have. And once it comes out, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm my father. Like I, and it happens all the time. And it's, and it's almost like, a, like that answer is not good enough for him. But I'm sitting there going, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know the ending unless you want me to see every movie before you do and say, you're going to be okay, Tyler. You're going to make it. So if we switch from movies to life, do you start to feel anxiety? Maybe the two that raise their hands saying, I kind of want to know the end of the movie. How many, how many in the room would, say, would sit there and say, I kind of want to know the end of the story. And by the story, it means this. I kind of I want to know the end of my story. Am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? Does this end well? If I was to ask you to put your hands up on that one, and I won't, my guess is that men, I'd see a, little, a few more hands go up. And here's how I know. Because the Bible over and over, at least 365 different times, the Bible says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Why do we need the constant reminder if all of us knew, hey, God's going to come through, it's no big deal, God's got this, then why does the scriptures have to constantly say that? Why does Paul have to write down a passage that has been used over and over and over for the last 2,000 years since he wrote it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be, don't be anxious about anything. A man who wrote those words while in prison because he loved Jesus reminds generation after generation after generation, God's got it. You don't have to worry. So don't. And yet we all, we kind of all want to know the end, right? Especially if you get that diagnosis or a family member that used to love, say, say a kid grew up knowing Jesus and all of a sudden starts to take off like a prodigal and you're sitting there going, how's it going to end? God, what's going to go? What's going to happen? Guys, I think we're all consumed by it. I think we all have this worry in us. 
And I think there's, there's something that, that's telling when we get to this passage in Matthew chapter six, you don't have to turn the video up on the screen. Verse 34, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I'll be honest. If you just read that verse by itself, are you horribly encouraged by it? Guys, don't freak out about tomorrow. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't, don't freak out about it, what's going to happen in the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble. Just focus on today. Like, you, if you just read this by itself, you kind of go, so all of life is just going to suck? Like, tomorrow's just filled with a bunch of problems? Like, today's filled? So don't, for, don't be anxious about it, though, because there's all these problems. You can't handle tomorrow, so just deal with today. God bless you. Have a great Merry Christmas. Guys, that's why it's so important to read scripture in context. See, it comes down to this. I wrote this in my notes. We need assurance that everything will work out, right? We just need that assurance that everything's gonna work out. Everything's gonna be okay. <clears throat> that's why we all, <clears throat> and I'm not gonna sing it. I'm not gonna try to have that sweet Jamaican accent of Bob Marley. But you know when you hear the song, so don't worry. I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna read it like a, a white guy. Because every little thing, you know what? It's going to be all right. Irie. Isn't that just the way it's supposed to be? Like, don't worry about it. Because every little thing is going to be all right. And so we hear that song. We just kind of get that groove going. And we start to believe, yeah, everything is, yeah, everything's going to be all right. But are you sure? I mean, are you certain it's gonna be okay? Because what Jesus just said was, don't, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So how can we be sure? How can we be sure that everything's gonna be okay? And I think we're gonna come to the one thing that's necessary to actually live in the reality of that. Not yet, but we'll get there. Last week, we looked at Ruth. And Ruth has conveyed to Boaz that she wishes for him to act as, his, as her kinsman redeemer. I mean, it's a long, it's too much to get into, and I don't have enough time to get into all the details of the story. And so if you haven't been part of the community or you missed a couple, you can always go back to our, uh, you go to our website, you can tune into the messages from the past. But Boaz, Boaz has this responsibility and we'll look at what the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer is. But when she comes before him in this act that we looked at last week, She's pretty much confessing to him, hey, I'm a widow. I'm a widow and I'm available to be a wife. And it sounds a little upfront, right? I don't know a lot of men that sit there and go, yes. I, we haven't even gone on a date, but sure, that doesn't seem too forward. But this is a different culture. Remember, I challenge us, let's not read the scriptures only from the place of a 21st century American Christian lens. But if he's the kinsman redeemer and she knows that he is because Naomi has pointed out that he is, then he, she, what she's doing is appropriate and right. But what is the kinsman redeemer? We'll look at it again, the four things or four key things that the kinsman redeemer has responsibility for. First, the kinsman redeemer has respond, or was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. The second, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime. The third, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. 
And the fourth was this, that the kinsman redeemer was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And so you see Boaz's response in verse 11 of Ruth chapter three, and it says this. He says, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if, he, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And then it continues into verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Who is he speaking to? Well, it doesn't state who he's speaking to, but I'm guessing it's one of the servants or one of the people that maybe saw. Hey, don't tell anybody that this is what happened. Well, why would he do that? Let it, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And I think first it's this, just to protect her. Because nothing happened. It could have been. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called, I don't know, uh, what's it called? Gossip. You ever heard of it? It's out there. That maybe one person can tell the next person who tells the next person who tells the next person. And by the time the fifth person hears it, the story's not even close to what was actually true. And so what if Boaz is saying, I don't want you to tell anyone about what's happening because nothing happened. And so I want to protect her reputation. But what if it's also this? What if he's saying, I don't want you to tell anybody that she was here or what happened because I have a plan. And what if he's sitting there going, I want to marry her and I don't want the next, I don't want the first guy to get to. What if he's sitting there going, I like her. So they're going, how can you, how can you tell? I'm just guessing. It doesn't say it. I do know that they've at least spent at least two to three months together, at least, working in the fields. It's his field. She's there gleaning, trying to get enough grain so that her and her mother-in-law can survive. And so to sit there, to work together, she's sharing meals with with, uh, his other servants, conversations that he's having with her. Maybe there's a little something going on. He's sitting there going, I want to do this for her. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. Well, how much is six measures of barley? It's not definite, but the commentaries that I read, most people were were agreeing about 10 pounds, about 10 pounds worth of barley. Now guys, that's nothing compared to the 30 to 50 pounds that she had gotten back in chapter two. Guys, that is a truckload of, of grain to take back home. But when she leaves, what does the Redeemer do? The Redeemer looks and says, no, 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 no. I need to make sure that you have what you need for today. And I need you to go back to your mother-in-law. Oh, homeboy stepped up. I need to make sure you have your needs met. Guys, I think that is so important because when we connect Boaz to being a Christ figure, he's the Redeemer in the story and our Redeemer is Christ. Guys, when you go back to Matthew chapter six, now in verse 31, It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, who's he referring to when he says Gentiles? I thought Gentiles were just people who weren't Jewish. Well, guys, in this context, yes, that's what it means. But in this context, he's kind of using Gentiles as those who aren't, they're they're not believers, 
Because remember, he's speaking to mostly Jewish people in this moment in, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. And so it's the Jewish people. And he's like, you know the Gentiles, that they're not the chosen nation. They're not in relationship with Yahweh. They don't know God. So those who don't know God, they worry about what they're gonna eat, what they're gonna drink, where they're gonna live, what they're gonna wear. He says, and I want you to be like that. But do you notice the reason behind it? He doesn't say, just stop worrying about that, period. Get on with your life. But he connects it. The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need all of it. He knows your needs. It's true he knows our wants, but he knows our needs. And so when we are anxious over things and Jesus comes and says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries. Focus on today. But what about, like, where are we supposed to live? Anybody recently had to, have, had to answer that question? God, where do you want us to go? Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do next. And then God sits and goes, I already know. I already know. I know what you're supposed to do. I know where you're supposed to go. I know what happens next because I've already worked through it. If he's lived out our tomorrows, at no point has God ever been anxious. But you ever wondered, those things, those curveballs that come our way, and we sit there going, I don't like curveballs. I like them straight down the middle. And I want them slow pitch, like church softball pitch. Because I can knock that sucker out of the park. When you start putting some spin on it, no, 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 I don't like that. But what if, when God throws the curveballs, what if God's personality is like this? I can't wait till they see the end result. Like, I know they're freaking out now. Oh, but if they could see the end. I, and I know this is not, God does not ever say this because he's not sitting there wondering. I can't wait to show them. But they've got to work to get there. I got to bring them through this to get them here. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in chapter six, verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say give us everything we need for the rest of our lives so we don't have to talk to you, but isn't it weird that God sets us up so that we would daily need him, daily speak to him. God, just give me what I need for today. Why? Because I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. So let me just talk to you about today. God, would you provide me with enough for today? And I don't know if that we really truly understand that concept because I'm thinking, hey, God, give me the food I need for today. But if I go home and I open up the fridge, I've got food for days. But it wouldn't have been like this for everyone listening to Jesus talking to how to pray. That there would have been many that sit there going, I don't know what we're doing tomorrow. And so Jesus says, I just want you to pray like this. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. Just say this, Father, would you give me today my daily bread? And then tomorrow, isn't it amazing that God is sitting there going, come on, just talk that he daily wants a relationship with us, that we just, just ask, God, would you please provide for today? Because I'm kind of convicted. I don't know that yesterday I actually thanked God for his provisions for yesterday. Or the day before, did you? Or did we just think, well, this is how life works? And then you get to verse 16. <clears throat> It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Now, the authorized version of the scriptures, it translates that question, who are you, my daughter? And you're like, what? 
Like you've been with, I mean, you've known her for over, over 10 years. Like you've been, this is your daughter. Like how could you ask, who are you, my daughter? And I was reading a commentary about it and he made such a good point. It's kind of like this. Imagine Naomi's like, okay, everything could change right now if the Redeemer says yes. And so what if when she gets home, she's like, who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabitess? Or are you the future Mrs. Boaz? Uh, do I hear wedding bells? Like, is this it? I don't picture Naomi just kind of wondering, but I think she's actually asking through excitement. Is everything changing because of this? Did the Redeemer say yes? Continue on verse 16. <clears throat> then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Guys, look at that phrase. <clears throat> End of verse 16. Then she told her all that the man had done for her. I mean, she just started talking. Everything he did. And let's not think of it just as monotonous and religious, but what if, <clears throat> what if there's this heart thing happening within Ruth where she just couldn't stop talking? Like he did this and he did this and this. He just kept talking. And what if Boaz going back? She was like, this, this is exciting. These are human beings. What if? And what if all of a sudden, we now apply it to us and our kinsman redeemer? What if all of a sudden we were that excited because we could sit and go, let me just tell you all the things that he did for me. And let me tell you all the things that he's done for me. I mean, not just the past, but like just yesterday or today, this is what he did. Like, are we this aware of God working in our lives on a daily basis, on a regular basis, and we can sit and go, did you see what God did? Not just the quote unquote big stuff, but in such relationship with him that no matter what, we're still going, okay, you got to sit down. You want me to brag about Jesus and how good he's been? You need some, I need some hours. I need you to sit and listen. Let's brew some coffee. Because I have so much to tell you. In John chapter four, Jesus meets a woman by a well. She's from Samaria. And Jesus broke the rules. He's just sitting there by himself. His disciples went into town to find some fine food. He's sitting there by himself and this woman comes at noon. Most women, when they went to, went to get water, they would come in the very beginning of the day because it was too hot at noon. And so they came at the cool of the day because they're gonna truck a bunch of water back home. But she didn't. She did it at noon. You know why? Because she's probably an outcast in the society that she lived in because of what Jesus confronts her with. See, he started with saying, hey, could you give me something to drink? And she's like, why are you a Jewish man asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? One, here's the reason she would ask the question. One, Jewish men would never talk to a woman by themselves. And two, a Jewish man would never talk to a Samaritan. Why? <clears throat> because there was racism back then too. And here Jesus just breaks the rules. He says, hey, could you give me something to drink? He says, why do you ask me for a drink? And he says something like this. If you knew who it is that asked you and what I could offer you, you would ask me to give you a drink. And I would give you this thing called living water. He's like, you don't have a bucket. And you ever wonder if Jesus just kind of sits there and goes, oh, people are so cute. <laughs> Someone's like, thank you for stating the obvious. And he keeps, 
He keeps talking and her interest is peaking. <clears throat> at some point in the conversation, he looks at her and says, why don't you go call your husband? She goes, oh, I don't have a husband. I know. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, I know. You've been married five times and the man you're with now, he, he's not your husband. Her jaw drops. Like Jesus knew everything about her. There was no Google. He couldn't look it up. There's no social media. He just knew. And then she starts to wonder, who are you? Because like, you guys have said that the Messiah is going to come, but not worship here. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. But she starts to wonder, are you? And Jesus pretty much comes out and says, I'm the Messiah. And the Bible says that she at one point runs back to town and looks at all, like just runs through town and says, you gotta come out here. You've gotta meet this guy who told me everything I've ever done. Would you go? Because what if he looked at you and said, let me tell what you've done. Let me tell every deep, dark secret that nobody knows and let me bring it to light so the world gets to hear you're like, I'm not interested. And you think, oh, well, he, he judged her and she felt judged. No, 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 she felt liberated. Judge means I don't want to talk to you. I'm going home. Leave me alone. Liberated means I'm running home to tell everyone about the man who knows everything about me yet approached me and spoke to me and offered something to me. That's freedom. Guys, you understand the beauty that comes with confession? Telling God, I don't have it together, God. When being tempted, you can tell God, I'm really struggling with this thought. But God, I really want to do this. Instead of sitting there thinking that God's frustrated because you're tempted, we pull back like we looked at last week, where God actually wants to help us in our temptations, through our temptations, and out of our temptations. You realize a ton of people came from the town? And then they said, you gotta stay. And Jesus like, okay, to stay a few days. The disciples had come back. Wait, we're gonna go where? We're gonna hang with the Samaritans. This is, these are the people we usually avoid. And Jesus changed the plans because Jesus had told her everything that she had done. But what did she do? Did she not go back to her people and tell them everything that he had done? which then caused every, everyone back there to want to meet Jesus. And then Jesus comes and to have someone look and say, okay, at first we believed because of her testimony, but now we believe because we've met you. Guys, that's how it's supposed to be. And that's why I wanna give you this challenge that just like Ruth said, let me tell you everything he did. Let me tell you everything he did. We have the same challenge. I wanna give you the challenge this week. Pull out a journal or a piece of paper, or on your phone. I'm just, I, got, I got old school. Young people, pull out your phone, <laughs> type it there. I like to write with a pen. Write down all the things that Jesus has done for you. Just start. Start with the newest. No requests. Just start writing. He did this, just bullet points. And then when you get through the list, ask the Holy Spirit. Now would you reveal to me the things that I never noticed that you did so that I can write those things down and see how long the list goes. And then the next challenge is go and tell someone everything that your Redeemer has done for you. 
isn't this what the scriptures teach? Like this is everything he's done because he wanted to. Why do this? Listen to Psalm 13, verse six. This is after David said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And he's kind of crying out to God. He's having a hard time. Nothing's changed when he writes verse six, though. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The Christian Standard Bible says, because he has treated me generously. New International Version says, for he has been good to me. The New Living Translation is because he is good to me. Guys, when you can't see the goodness in the moment, go back and you will see how bountifully God has been, how good God has been to you. And then shouldn't that cause us as recipients of God's grace to then extend grace to others and to show them goodness and kindness? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Earlier on in the message, we looked at Jesus saying, hey, don't, don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble. Just focus on today. And we talked about, hey, don't worry, because every little thing's going to be all right. And I do believe the scriptures teach that. Before Bob Marley made it famous. But this being sure that God would come through requires one thing from us, and here it is. Ruth chapter 3, verse 18, watch. This is Naomi replying to Ruth. Naomi replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not, will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Do you see the word? Wait. Don't jump in. Don't try to fix anything. Don't give an opinion. Don't do all your steps because you're not quite sure if he's going to come through. Does any of this make sense in your walk with Jesus so far? You ever notice how often we jump in and we make the matters worse when maybe we could just pull back and wait? And maybe God will do something more incredible than we ever thought imaginable instead of God just snapping his fingers. And in the moment, because you asked, he just does it right then. Wait. When I looked up that word wait in the Hebrew, there's a, there's a couple definitions the first was this, to inhabit, to dwell, to live, to stay. And it usually implied a longer amount of time. But this is the part that got me in this next, in this next definition. To restore, renew, formally, to cause, to dwell. But here it is. Cause something to be in an earlier correct state. The fall happened in Genesis chapter 3. And what are we supposed to do? Just wait. Wait. Why? Because God's going to put it all back in order. He's doing his work. If we don't go back to Genesis chapter 3, let's just go to that thing in your life or your friend's life or in the family life or in relationships or whatever it is. Just wait. Because God will restore. And when it's time, he may say, I need you to take this step and you go, but don't try to fix it automatically as quickly as you can because maybe God is there going, not yet, just wait. But Brian, I've done that. I did it imperfect. At no point did I say what imperfect because isn't it amazing how all of our definitions of perfect are completely different? 
and how often we actually think that God agrees with, like I'll just put myself, God, God must always agree with my perspective and he must always agree and define things the same way that I do because I'm a Christian. But why is, it on, why is it there are times in scripture when God has a completely different perspective and I'll look at it and his mind's not the same and I'm a Christian? Is it because God is still having to do a work in me? What I can say is this, God will do his work. Wait. When he calls you to step, step. Until he does, wait. But I think it comes down to this statement. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Guys, aren't you thankful that the scriptures teach that we serve and follow a God who doesn't sleep and he never slumbers? He does not, quote unquote, rest the way that we do. God is at work. God is working. And the Redeemer will not rest until he has settled the matter so you may say, how do I know that Jesus will come through? Here's how I know. Here's how I know. And let me remind you. Because of a cross on Calvary. I promise you this. If Jesus would go through the cross of Calvary to finish the work, then you can trust him with today. That the most excruciating experience that anyone could ever go through, that no human could endure. And that's why God himself had to take on flesh for no one can take the wrath of God other than God so we could be redeemed and brought back into relationship with him. That Jesus, the only great, perfect redeemer, endured the cross and from the cross Right before he breathes his last, he screams out, it is finished. It's done. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all the books. When Leviticus is talking about all the sacrifices necessary for the forgiveness of sin, no one was really forgiven, quote unquote, by the shedding of blood of a bull. But that blood was pointed to Jesus who would become the ultimate sacrifice, whose blood would be poured out for us because Jesus is the ultimate, nearest, only redeemer. And so when Naomi says, just wait, just wait. Because maybe she could see in her face, she's getting a little freaked out. Like, is it gonna happen? Just wait, I can promise you this. The man will not rest until he has settled the matter today. And maybe for some, that's the thing you need to be reminded of today. God will not rest until he has settled the matter. You're like, well, today? Here's the thing, I don't know when. This side of the timeline that I live in, I don't know when that is, but I know because God is eternal, he's already figured it out. So we wait. He knows what he's doing, which should cause us to do this. You promise? And then we turn into a bunch of four-year-olds. You promise? You promise? 
or we turn into 48-year-old pastors. You promise? God, you promise? I promise. And so we read from Matthew chapter 6, just like when we started, except we read it with everything we've looked at from this passage in Ruth, and we read it in its context, not just the verse by itself, and see if you do not see the tenderness of our Savior and the grace and the mercy of our Redeemer. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has, for tom for tomorrow has enough anxiety of its own, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Guys, listen to that last part. The word therefore is connected. It's like, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these necessities, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, where you'll live, will be given to you. Therefore, don't, work it. don't, don't freak out about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Why? I just get to seek God and his righteousness first. Job said these words. Most scholars think that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, not Genesis, but the book of Job. Job 19, 25 to 27. Listen to his hope in the midst of everything he endured. If you've never read the book of Job, read it. Just be prepared to feel very bad for a guy. But in the very middle of it is when he says this. He says, but I know. Do you see the decision that's made? Like everything he's going through, instead of looking at the circumstance of the moment, he said, but I know. It goes above the circumstance. Guys, hope is not just in the here and now. Hope is in God, who's above the circumstances. But I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, he will stand on the dust, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. And you know what happened right after he said that? He went right back into struggling and suffering and hurting. But he had hope. As the worship team comes back up, he's sitting there go, Brian, that's not one thing. That's one thing to do. Wait. Wait. 
So what's the one thing I need so that I can wait? I wrote this in my notes. The only way that we can patiently wait is because we actually trust the one whom we are waiting for. The only way that I can wait is that I actually trust the one whom I'm waiting for. Friends, we can listen to all the stories that are going on around the world and we can be so overwhelmed and consumed by them. Or maybe you're at a place where you work and you're starting to hear downsizing as the topic of conversation. And friends, I don't downplay any of those emotions or feelings or thoughts. Friends, my job is not to make you feel guilty in those situations. My role and responsibility in this community as you face those things is just say this, is to remind you to wait on the one whom you can trust. I think wait is an incredible word. The phrase I use is just hang in there. Hang in there, wait. How can I say that? Because I trust the one whom I'm waiting for. And when I hit that crisis, would you do me a favor? Would you remind me? As I'm reminding you, I'm no different. I'll need the reminder. And so I believe that Naomi's advice to Ruth is exactly the same for us this morning. Then maybe the Redeemer is actually saying this to us. What if the Father is saying, I just need you to wait, my daughter, my son, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the Redeemer will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Brian, what if it's not today, but what if it is? Well, that's not hope. It definitely is hope. What if it's today? I just wish that he would tell me. Friends, be careful what you wish for. Because if God has something in store where he's like, I need to change you and work on you for the next few years, you're going to need to trust me in the process. Are you sure you want to know? Or is God in his grace pulling back and not telling you exactly how long because he just thinks that you'll lose hope along the way? But what if you learn this? Tomorrow you wake up and you realize, God, give me my daily bread. Would you give me my daily bread? And then can we just stroll through the day? Can you just teach me what I need to know and can I just walk with you because I love you? And I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble and I'm so thankful that Jesus, you're with me in it. So just wait. Wait because you trust in the one whom your soul desires. We go back to the cross, ultimately. How do I know he'll come through? Because he took a cross. And he cried out, it is finished, and it is. Friends, we have the elements, we have the elements available for you. If you didn't grab them when you came in, you can go back there. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a time for us to remember what it is that Jesus did for us, where he took the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us that we could be redeemed and made right with God. Before we do that, though, as the worship team starts in, we're supposed to go before God and ask him, God, is there anything in my life that is sin that I haven't confessed to you, I haven't agreed with you? Then confess it and repent from it. Guys, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. That's not what the word confess means. But one thing is to say the words. But what if God then says, now go make it right? 
Guys, do you realize that even the Bible, Jesus himself says that, hey, if you're, if you're in a worship time, if you're presenting your sacrifice, remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice, go make it right, then come back and present your sacrifice. Maybe that has to happen. I don't know. But we ask, Holy Spirit, show me anything that's not pleasing to you, that I could agree with you, that it's sin, and we, we do it with grace. No guilt, just gratitude. And then when we take the cracker and we, when we remember his body broken for us, we take the cup and we remember his blood was shed for us, that it was his good pleasure to save us at the perfect time. No guilt, grateful. Can I pray for you? And then you take communion when you want. If you're taking, you don't have to, totally up to you. Not a legalistic thing, but if you are, ask the Lord first, God reveal, and then take when you're ready. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that, you, we, can, that we can trust you. And I thank you for the reminder throughout this whole week to wait. Just wait. God, may we actually believe this. And may we actually live this out. When we hear you say to us, be still and know that I am God. And then may we take that and personalize it because I believe that it's true to hear you say, be still and know that I am your God. Jesus, I thank you that you are our redeemer, that we will see you one day. God, we thank you. God, in this time and the work that you do this morning and throughout this week in our hearts, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.